find your own way All you gotta do is just I've been wanting to do this series within season two for quite a while, and it is a discussion about actors and alcohol. So I grew up and my parents were young in their 20s when they had kids and socializing was a big part of their lives. Block parties, picnics, camping, everything. And although my mom didn't drink that much at all, once in a while she'd have a wine cooler. My dad drank a lot of beer. And in high school, getting drunk was something that was a goal to be obtained. And there were some parties that we had when I was in high school. And to this day, I still cannot smell Bacardi. It makes me so sick because I used to drink rum and coke. Flash forward to show business and socializing. Having drinks is somehow part of the industry. It was only after I stopped performing regularly that I noticed I was opening a beer or a bottle of wine out of boredom because I didn't have enough to keep myself busy with. And what was a celebratory action started to become a habit. So I really took a good look at myself during the pandemic and I decided to make some changes. Now, I know a lot of people's drinking increased during the pandemic. And let me just say this right away. The next couple of episodes, no judging no judgment at all. We're all on different journeys with everything and I am not telling anybody what to do, what not to do. I'm just sharing some information because it might be helpful to you or you might enjoy hearing about this topic. So here we go. Hi, everybody. I'm here with Brian Wisenant. And a couple of days ago, I posted on Facebook theory about show business and alcohol. And I said, would anybody like to come on the podcast and talk about alcohol and show business? Because for those of you who aren't in show business, alcohol seems to be a constant. There's parties, there's meeting for drinks. There's socializing with your colleagues. And in my case, it just became something that became just a part of my life instead of something like a glass of wine on a special occasion. And I want to talk with Brian about his experience because he's had a very interesting journey. So welcome, Brian. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Actually, happy to talk about this, which is uh, quite different than it might have been when you and I met. <laughs> Yeah, so we met many years ago at Maine State Music Theater, and you brought back a memory that I had forgotten, and I believe we were at a party, and you said that I told you what, Brian? So we, I, I've been digging deeper into the recesses of my memory, <laughs> and I remember you and I, I believe we went to dinner, and it was at a restaurant, I remember it had like this alley and I, I was an intern at the time, an old intern, 28 years old. And we weren't allowed to drink where we lived, which was very strange for a 28-year-old. <laughs> but it actually, I think it saved me in many ways that summer. But when I could go out to like dinner and such, or the parties, I could drink. And I remember I opened up to you about the fact that I had had a problem with drugs and alcohol. And it didn't, it hadn't surfaced in a while, because I had done another job right before. And I remember you saying to me, well, something that might help you is to have, you know, a club soda and have a nice little fun cocktail stir in the club soda. And I thought, wow, that's brilliant. Because 
there was so much shame in the idea of not drinking at a party, which is so wild to me when I think about that. So I right. still remember, I mean, my memory could be wrong, but I remember us standing there and you telling me this for, and I was like, wow, that's brilliant. And of course I did. I didn't practice uh, that, Oh, same, <laughs> but it was same. a great idea. <laughs> at one point I had two drinks one in each hand because I would go to the bartender and get two because at a busy party, I was not sure if I could get another one. So I'd order two. Like, come on. The cocktail, the club soda or the ginger ale, that was from a friend of mine. I had a friend who really liked to save money on contracts so that he would have enough money when he was in between shows to live and pay bills so instead of spending $40, $50 at a bar, he would order a soda, tip the bartender nicely, and then just nurse on that soda the whole night and still socialize, but not incur the expenses of a few drinks. Because I don't know if, um, you know, I, I was out last night after the Manhattan Vintage show, I went out for a bite with a friend and I purposely just had water. Because I knew this is something that I'm trying to really, really watch and be aware of. But also, I didn't want $15 for one glass of wine to be added to the bill. I know. I haven't had a drink in uh, six and a half years. And I still continue to be blown away when I go out to dinner. I'm like, oh, food is so much cheaper when you don't drink. <laughs> still, I love I it. Still, yes. So Unless tell you DoorDash. Us DoorDash is expensive. <laughs> It is. And my friend, I have a friend who's doing DoorDash at one at his job. They just like basically cut his employment in half. And I'm really proud of him because instead of sitting around and getting upset, he booked himself on DoorDash and he's actually making quite a nice side living on DoorDash. So I'm proud of him. That's but tell great. us about so you live in Los Angeles now and you have had such a journey what was the point where you said enough is enough with alcohol and drugs? Wow. So I, when you and I met, I was living in New York City and I went through a tumultuous relationship, just terrible. And I had stopped, you know, I had so many great close calls after working at Main State. Like I got my equity card and I remember I got called back for the Greece revival and spring awakening and I had all this potential and I couldn't seal the deal. Because almost always, right before the last callback, I would celebrate <laughs> and I would be up all night and I would blow it. And I didn't get it. I was like, oh, I have my timings off. But it never registered that it could have anything to do with alcohol or drugs. And so I decided, well, New York's the problem. I couldn't be the problem. So let me move to Los Angeles, which was insane. And within a year, I actually, I, I did one little film gig out here. But within a year of living out here, I had lost my job. I'd lost my home. I was homeless out here living off of other people. Um, and I had nothing. And I went back to Mississippi, which was the thing I swore I would never do. I will never, ever, ever go back to Mississippi. And I did. And three months with my parents. I mean, there's a lot you can hide thousands of miles away. But when you're living under the roof of your parents, it's hard to hide. And so there was one night. I had started using, and I'm going to be fully transparent. I'm good. I'm good with just being open. So alcohol had stopped doing what I wanted it to do. So I was using meth. And so meth took me down pretty fast. And then I started to IV meth because using it, yes, you know, me, like people are, oh, I can't imagine. I'm like, yes, yes, me. <laughs> so I was IVing meth. 
And then one day I was with these people and, you know, it just came over me what I had lost. I was 38 years old. I, you know, my dreams were just gone. And I was sitting in a parking lot and I had, you know, basically I had the money and they still kicked me out. You know, you're in trouble when you have money for drugs and the people still kick you out. They're like, you know what? You're a little crazy for us. So I was sitting in this parking lot and it hit me. I was like, what have I done? And I was like, I think I have a problem. And I reached out for help. I went to treatment the next day and I haven't had a drink ever since. It's been amazing. But I will tell you this. I thought I would drink again. I thought my problem's drugs. It's not alcohol. And then while I was in treatment, someone said to me that she had that same idea and that, you know, I'm like, why can't I have a glass of wine at dinner? I mean, I can tell you what it is when I smell it. I can't be an alcoholic. I'm too educated about wine to be an alcoholic. I don't drink Coors Light. I, that's, a, that's a lie. I mean, of course I did. I drank whatever was there. And uh, she told me that she had the same thought. One night she had a steak. She had a glass of wine. Two weeks later, she was arrested for using meth. And that was it. I was like, I can't drink again. And that they just, they just like left me. And I, you know, there've been times when I've wanted to drink. I just uh, tell someone and breathe and meditate and I, I found that lately too. If I like, if I want to open up a bottle of wine, if I just hold that thought for a few minutes, it passes. I would say that I have a couple of glasses of wine a week now. And what I'm afraid of is if I try to diet, I gain weight because the idea of you can't have it makes me want it. So I end up eating more and bad food if I say that I'm dieting. So I'm concerned that if I say, okay, I'm not drinking anymore. But if I leave the option open of, okay, maybe I can have a glass of wine once in a while, then it'll, I'll keep it at a low level. But I just read Demi Moore's book, which is excellent. I think it's oh, called I Inside Out. It. Oh, it's so yeah. good. Do the audio book because she reads it. And that voice is just, her voice is amazing. She talks about how she doesn't have an off switch. And so she had been sober for, I think, 20 years. And then while she was married to Ashton Kutcher, she, she thought she could handle just like an occasional glass of wine and couldn't. She, her, it got to the point where her daughters were not speaking to her. And now it's, I think now she's got eight or nine years of sobriety back under her. But what is, what was the treatment that you received and did the counseling help you? Or do you feel that it's really something that as a person, you have to make a decision? So my treatment, it's really interesting. I'm not religious. I went to treatment in what we call the last, the last stop in Mississippi at a treatment center where there were tons of religious volunteers. And, you know, I'm openly gay and I don't, you know, I, I am spiritual. I've always wanted to be spiritual, but for me, it was, it was, you know, 12 step. That's what worked for me. But I had to really lock into the idea that I could develop my own spirituality. Like it was my own, like when I say God, for me, it is not anything like the God I grew up with. It's kind of like the universe and karma and like nature. And, you know, that works for me, but the real work started after I had stopped drinking for a couple of years. And I started to work with a therapist on the trauma that I had experienced, like the things that happened to me as a kid. And the 12 steps helped me look at that, but I really needed outside professional help. <laughs> I needed professional help. And that made all the difference for me. I am still in therapy once a week. And every once in a while, I'm like, oh, I can't afford this. And I'm like, you, 
I can't not afford it. I can't not afford it. Yeah. It's great to hear this. And you look really well. We're on a Zoom call right now to the audience and you look 28. You you look amazing. If you were to go back in time, do you think that there would be anything that you could change or does your journey have to play out in the way that it did for you to be where you are now? I'm so glad you asked me that because I think about this a lot. And even though I am in LA, you know, I don't talk, I feel like a lot of people don't understand my perspective of being, now I'm 44, you know, trying to do this acting thing again, trying to do the directing thing again. And I think, wow, what if I had just gotten this in my twenties? Like, what if, like, but then I think I wouldn't have this ammunition as an artist. We bring our life experience to our work, right? And the short film that I'm working on is about an addict. And what's so funny about it is I had the idea to write this film and to make this film 20 years ago when I was drinking and it never crossed my mind that I had a problem. And so now I have a really good life. I have a really good life. So it's easier for me to say I wouldn't change anything, but honestly, I don't think I would change it. I mean, I'm so happy. And I think I have an opportunity to help so many more people than I could have, you know, I mean, yeah, it would be great if I wasn't an alcoholic, if I wasn't an addict, but life is so good. You know, I think about, you know, we have a mutual friend who um, is in recovery and I remember working with him and I, I, you know, I, I, this part haunts me. I wish I could change this. I remember when that person said they didn't drink and I remember saying, why, why wouldn't you drink? You should drink. What's wrong with you? Like all this awful stuff that I said, and that was in 2004. I got way worse over the years. <laughs> like, I wish I could change that. But I have people say that to me now. You know, I'm, I program for a film festival and I go to, you know, and I had to ease into this. Like my first film festival premiere, I went with a recovery buddy. I was like, we're going to have Diet Coke. We're going to stay for an, uh, like we stayed 10 minutes. We were like, sip, you want to go? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> and we bolted. Well, now I can stay. I mean, I can stay for some time. I can network. Um, I still like to have a recovery buddy there. I don't like to do that kind of stuff alone, but I can, you know, I can, but uh, yeah, I went on a tangent. <laughs> No, this is perfect. (laughs) This is exactly what I wanted for the podcast, because there are so many people of all different levels in show business and not in show business who this I if this helps one person, I really think it'll be valuable. And I've got a lot of teens too who listen to this. And I want them to know that I, I recall in high school, like the quote unquote, cool kids would have keg parties. And to be just at the keg party and to drink beer was so amazing and so exciting. So I want, I want everybody to know that you don't have to follow like what is expected of you in your hometown or your situation. And I think that everybody is their own boss in terms of what, is, what works for them and what doesn't work for them. I am just discovering that, you know, drinking is not working for me anymore. And it's, I, I still have dreams in show business and I still want to work and I still want to do things. And I think that the healthier I can get, it'll just open the door to that. And I see the people that I do see in recovery are thriving. Yeah. Well, that person 
that I'm not going to tell. <laughs> I'm not going to out them. But, you know, I, I left Maine State and I watched this person book Broadway show, Broadway show, Broadway show. And this person was 10, like younger than me. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? And now I'm like, oh, well, I get it now. And I, you know, I've thrived too in a different way. I did start working for, like, I went into treatment. So I work with addicts, particularly gay men who suffered with what I have suffered. But I'll tell you, I mean, I thought, oh, I can't do it again. I can't go back. And there's this recovery saying, lost dreams awaken. And I was like, you know what? I'm going for it. I'm going for it. I'm going for it. I'm going for it. And I wish sometimes that I had that fearless mentality I had in my 20s. But I'm still the same person. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm here. You I'm should going go for, it. for it. Yeah. I mean, that's something I learned from it. you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I raised a kid, you know, I, I really wanted to put my child first. And I feel like I did that. I never wanted her to grow up and say my mother was always off on location or off in a show and didn't put me to bed at night. And now my daughter's in college. And I feel like I did what I felt was the right thing to do. And now I can jump back in this career. So that's why, you know, I've been teaching. I never stopped working. I just concentrated on teaching and choreographing. But I really, really, really want to get back to performing full time. And you are too. You're writing this film. Yeah. What stage of the process? What where are you in the film? So we had a virtual table read because I needed to do something creative this past year. So I joined TikTok, (laughs) which is my greatest creative outlet, which is really sad, but it's true. Uh, Talk about being old on a young person's medium, but I love it. And then I, you know, we had a virtual table read of the film. So now I'm, this is the harder part. It was easier in my 20s, but I'm asking for help. So I'm asking people who have done it, you know, people who have come before me, um, you know, directors, writers, actors, and asking them, how do I do this? So because I grew up in musical theater acting, I mean, I, I, this is a new world for me. Fundraising, like that's like, I mean, thank goodness, uh, you know, as an actor, you don't have to raise money for your budget. <laughs> but I mean, unless you're a producer or something, but, you know, so to, tomorrow, tomorrow, I have a call with a friend. I'm going to ask him to be my AD on my film, my assistant director. And then I'm asking uh, you know, uh, so I programmed film festivals, right? Um, I programmed um, this director's film a long time ago. Well, now he has a very successful film on the film festival circuit. And my, my I call it my disease, you know, because I'm in 12-step recovery, but whatever it is, you're, that voice in your head, that negative Nancy, <laughs> that negative voice, negative stuff, tells me, oh, he won't, he can't help you. He's big time now. He's big time. And I'm like, no, he's just an artist and someone helped him. So I'm asking him, how do I find a location? How do I crowdfund? How do I ask people for money? So I have those two calls tomorrow. I have a friend who said he's willing to help me find a producer if I give him a budget and some locations. So that's where I'm at. Congratulations. Yeah. It's so great. It's so great to hear all of this. Alcohol is something that you struggled with and you feel you're in a good place now. You feel like I I like the fact that you bring somebody with you. What keeps you from picking up a drink or some drugs? Like, what is it that keeps you from 
you are, did you just keep yourself so busy that you don't even think about it anymore? Or what is it that makes you realize like I'm better without it? That's really great. And you know, when you and I met, so I had, I had worked at Allenberry Playhouse and then Main State. So I was like really in my, my acting career and I was working and I was so happy that I didn't really want to drink. So I didn't drink that much that summer or that year, actually that whole year, I didn't drink that much. But when I got back to New York and it got to that, you know, I wasn't working and I was auditioning and there was rejection and I already hadn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of self self-worth at the time. And so when you're being told no, and you haven't worked on yourself, the rejection hits differently. And so I coped with that by drinking again. So being busy does help. But what do you do when you're not busy? What do you do when you're not busy? Which we all learned this year, especially if you're in show business, I mean, especially theater, like, I mean, come on, that was a big hit. You know, I even talked to my therapist. I'm like, well, this year, I'm kind of glad I never made it as an actor because I wouldn't be working right now. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's sad. A lot of my closest friends who are these great successes have been out of work. But what makes me not pick up? I play the tape out. You know, I remember I try to go back to like 2004 when I went back to New York and oh, I'll just have a couple of drinks here and there. I'll just have a bottle of wine with dinner. A bottle, see, yeah, I said bottle. I didn't even say glass. I'll just have two bottles of wine at dinner. And I have to play it out. Like just a couple of years later, I was in a terrible relationship. A year after that, we were in an abuse. I was, it had turned abusive. A couple of years after that was when I moved to LA. And a year after that, I was homeless. So I play the tape out and it all starts with one drink for me. And so what keeps me picking up from picking up the one drink is knowing where I'm headed if I pick up one. This is wonderful. This yeah. is so good. What is your current job now? You work in the recovery field. Yeah. Yeah. I work for a trauma center. It's amazing. I wanted to get back to LA and I couldn't imagine how. Because you know, when you're when you're 20, you're like, I'll move with $700. What's the big deal? I'll sleep on so-and-so's couch and I'll hit the pavement and knock on doors. Here's my resume. And you know, when you're 44, it's like, I can't live with someone else. I can't do that. Like it's all those voices in your head. So I, my job in Mississippi actually transferred me out here. And I did that job for about a year. And then I got recruited for this place called Breathe. And they treat trauma and eating disorders and substance abuse and mental health. And they have a whole program for gay men addicted to meth. And so, you know, when I say God, right? Like, I, I don't, I don't do religion, but the universe, how can I like, for me, I'm like, wow, I'm literally back in LA. I got transferred with my job and I'm helping people just like me, like literally just like me and talking about the dieting. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. I mean, I still have struggles. I mean, I don't struggle with alcohol today, but you know, I still struggle with the food. I mean, I have bread, but like for... <laughs> A few months ago, I was like, bread is evil. I can't eat bread. I live in LA. You can't have bread. Bread is bad. Well, guess what? I'll tell you this for the, for the world. Talk about, I went to Vaughn's and I literally bought a loaf of jalapeno cheese bread and ate the whole thing in my car. So that's where I go when I deprive myself. I can't have bread. So I'm going to eat a loaf of bread. <laughs> I keep going all over the place. I'm so happy. To no, this is fantastic. <laughs> This is, this is exactly what I wanted when I posted that request. You know, I think so many of us are so hard on ourselves and especially show business because just to get a job, 
you have to go through so many hoops and you have to go through a lot of time and a lot of effort. And it's not like a job that is ongoing. It's a project and the project has an end. And when the end date comes, you're back at square one. What can happen is you can build up a good reputation over time. But even those A-lister people, think of Audra McDonald. How many shows a year does she do? She's not always employed. She's crossed over into film and TV also, which is great. But even the A-listers, they are not constantly employed. I think to the society at large, entertainers and performers, really, there's something inside of us that we, we have to do it, but it's not the easiest thing to be. And what you see on the stage and what you see in a film, that result comes from so much back work. The people who are not in the business really don't see the work on the other side. And I just want to shed some light on that because I think in America, there's not really a lot of respect for actors and actresses unless you're extremely successful, unless you're a Rob Lowe or a Matthew McConaughey or a Demi Moore. You know, so there's a bunch of us that are just workaday people. We get up, we go to an audition or we train, we go to class, and then we do other things to earn income. And I think that I just want to salute all of those people who are out there in the trenches trying to be what they want to be. And it is not the easiest thing in the world. And I'm not saying, oh, poor us, we struggle so hard. No, it's we we love what we do. I, I'm married to what I call a civilian. He's a regular guy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when we first got together, when we first started living together, he said to me, why do you practice so much? You know, because I'm always singing or learning something or dancing. And I said, because if I have an audition, like I need to know the words to my song, or if I'm in a show, I have to know my lines. And it's, you can't just practice like in the show itself. You got to get ready, prepare. He knows now. And he always hates when we're watching a show and I, I go, oh, they're so-and-so. I did this with them. They're, and he always just gives me a look now, like, be quiet. Let me watch this show. I don't care. <laughs> He's like, I don't care who's in it and what their resume is. <sighs> I love that. I need to find myself a civilian. I don't know if I will in LA, but they might be here somewhere. <laughs> yeah. A, it's, it's, a surfer. It's, a, it's, a surfer. <laughs> It's very interesting because my parents were dancers, but not professional dancers. And I was saying this to a friend the other day, like to this day, they really don't really know much about show business. And when I would book jobs, they would always say, that's nice. But they didn't get like how how big it was when I would book a national tour. They just didn't get it. My husband is the same way. Like he's, he doesn't really care about show business. And it's, that's kind of refreshing because my home life is, is away from the industry. And that's cool. It's cool to like cook dinner and not have to talk about shop and things like that. So it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a different kind of way of living. And it, it does give me a lot of balance. It really does. It sounds nice. Question for you. I have a question yes. for you. What do you do when a friend or a family member struggles with drugs or alcohol or and drugs and alcohol? And you know that they're struggling, but yet they're not in a position where they want help. They just like using. How do you as a person in their life, how do you put some boundaries down? And you can offer them help, but you can't make them get help. They have to get it. Like, I think we, we emailed back and forth about this. Like you have a friend who's in trouble and you know that you can't do anything. 
yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. But it's almost like, you know, I still have to work on myself. It's, it's, I, I can only work on me in this situation. So with this friend, I, I'm such a people pleaser. I don't like conflict. I'm like, ugh. but I, I found myself not answering her call, not texting her back. I said, this isn't good. This is your friend. And so I confronted her, but not like, like I just said, hey, I'm worried about you. I opened the door. I said, hey, I'm worried about you. Why? This is what I'm seeing. And as your friend, I would want someone to tell me if they saw this in me. And they have. I mean, people said it to me. You know, you seem a little off or you see. And so I take that very to heart because I do believe that people can see things in us that we can't see in ourselves sometimes. So that's what I said to my friend. And she said, I'm fine. If there was a problem, you would know. And I said, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm literally saying that I, I see there's a problem. <laughs> and so that's when I was like, okay, I did my part. I can't force what you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force the horse to drink, whatever that saying is. But that doesn't mean I'm done. Like I have to then, you know, I talk to other people like you and I are doing right now to someone who... I talk to someone else who has gone through it and I say, what did you do? And they tell me what they did. And I'm like, ah, oh, that helps. Um, just like as an addict, I talk to other addicts. Well, that doesn't mean I don't still have loved ones who are using. I mean, I have tons of loved ones who are using and uh, drinking and uh, I need to, I need to get help from other people who've been through it, who can share their experience with me. So yeah, I have to set boundaries and, you know, they're hard. Boundaries are hard for me. You know, yeah, I haven't, I haven't wanted to drink in a long time, but I, I want to people please. I want to, there are all these things I want to do that I'm still working on myself and boundaries. Whew, that's hard for me still. So you practice, I practice. Oh, it's hard. I, say, I don't even know what, I wish there was a magic solution to how, how to, to handle the fact a loved one is suffering, but you know, I had to go through what I had to go through to get where I, where I ended up. You've been so helpful talking to us today. I really appreciate it. Do you want to tell the audience about your film work? Is there a website that you have that maybe people can look at so they know how to find you? Oh, yeah. So I have a website and I, I wish I had a simpler last name, but I simply don't. <laughs> it's brianwizenant.com. <laughs> And that, you know, my friend said, you, that's going to be hard for people. I said, well, you know what? They're going to have to learn how to spell my name one day. <laughs> so everything's on my website, brianwisnet.com. You can get links to my social media there. I write every month right now, I'm writing an essay about the process of making the film because I like to process things. And if I just sit here in my head, I'm going to be in a dangerous place. So I just wrote a piece about looking for a location. And it's kind of funny. It's a funny little piece about doing that and about LA and about actors in LA. And thank you, Brian. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm so grateful. The Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast has original music composed by Joshua Holloway. Find him on YouTube, Joshua Holloway Music. This podcast is written by Michelle Bruckner and edited by Michelle Bruckner and Joshua Holloway. Find me on Instagram, showgirltipofday.
Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Sunshine.